This is episode number 30 with former Atlanta Falcons quarterback, Steve Barkowski. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Today I'm bringing you for the second time a number one overall pick in the NFL draft, and this go-around, it's Steve Barkowski, who was the number one pick back in 1975, ahead of the legendary Walter Payton. Steve played 11 seasons with the Atlanta Falcons. He was inducted into the Falcons Ring of Honor. He's a member of the College Football Hall of Fame after playing for UCLA, and he was a two-time NFL Pro Bowler. Today, Steve talks about the moment that was the turning point in not only his career, but in his life as well. He talks about how complete failure on the football field allowed this change to take place and what it was able to do for him moving forward in his career and in his personal life. Steve talks about what it means to be a leader. He talks about the different lessons that he learned in the NFL and so much more. Today, you're going to hear how someone's life changed. You're going to hear how a shift in perspective and a shift in mindset completely turn around Steve's level of motivation. This is a special interview that you're going to hear today in which I know you'll get the goosebumps at least a couple of times. While listening to this episode, be sure to share it with a friend or a loved one. Send it to someone that you're trying to lift up, to someone whose goals are just as important to you as they are to them. I would love it for you to take a screenshot of the episode and post it on Instagram to let me know what you think about it. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on being our best self today with former Atlanta Falcons quarterback, Steve Barkowski. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super stoked for today's interview um, for this legendary uh, Atlanta football player and a lot of other stuff, but most notably uh, the Atlanta Falcons quarterback back in the 1980s, Steve Bartkowski. And Steve was the first overall pick in the 1975 NFL draft uh, ahead of Walter Payton, which I think is really cool. Uh, But this is actually the second first overall pick in the NFL draft that I've ever had on the show. I had Jake Long, who was the first pick in the 2008 NFL draft. So I think it's it'll be cool to kind of get the different perspectives of the different time frames and that sort of thing. Um, but to kind of add on to your accolades, you're part of the College Football Hall of Fame, Atlanta Falcons Ring of Honor, and a bunch of other things, two-time Pro Bowler. Um, but all that aside, you're um, a big Christian. And that's kind of really what I one of my biggest takeaways from doing my research of you and, and your background and different interviews that you've given and every, everything like that, which is a super admirable trait that I know I look up to. Um, so I'm excited to kind of dive deeper into that. But the way I want to start today is that, you know, when you were younger and growing up in high school and that sort of thing, obviously it got to a point where you realized, I want to play football in college. And also you had this high talent in baseball. So you're a baseball football player. But I want to ask you, at what point did you realize that you actually had some sort of talent that you could actually maybe do something like this full time? Well, it's great to be with you, Nick. Thanks for having me on. Uh, um, you know, I, that, that's a really tough question to answer because I can tell you that uh, from literally almost day one, um, I grew up in a family. Uh, my dad was a professional baseball player, um, something that I knew that I always wanted to pursue was some sort of stick and ball sort of activity. Um, so I played, you know, everything basically growing up, uh, my dad, because of his influence, uh, kept me ahead of my peer group growing up. So I was always playing with older kids and, you know, uh, really outshining them, if you will. You know, I remember when I was eight years old, I was playing on a, um, a, a, a big league, little league team, you know, for the 11 and 12 year olds. So, you know, it, it was, uh, I had great influence at home from my pop. Uh, he was a great man and, and a great athlete himself. Uh, 
So I, you know, I told him when I was six years old, I wanted to be a ball player. You know, I didn't know what kind of ball, you know, I didn't always be right. round or, or, or oblong like, <laughs> but, uh, but I knew I wanted to be an athlete and, um, I didn't, uh, I really knew that I had something special, uh, probably about midway through my high school career, uh, colleges and universities started reaching out to me, uh, you know, offering scholarships and so on and so forth. So, you know, at that point in time, it really became a, a rock solid goal and something that, uh, you know, barring injury, uh, that I might be able to see through. Right. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you mentioned your father because I've definitely learned that he's been probably one of the biggest role models in your life. He coached you in sports growing up, correctly, a little bit? Right, exactly. Every baseball team I played on. Actually, oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, my dad was uh, just a terrific coach. And and to this day, all the coaches that I've had, I can go through a litany of uh, great coaches. Uh, none supersedes him. Um, he was just, you know, he was a phenomenal man and uh, just uh, truly a role model for me. And, and one of those kind of guys that I, you know, I, I, I still live by some of the things, the deeply rooted uh, principles of life that he uh, sort of implanted in me. That's special. So let's go ahead and get into some of those principles of life. What are the biggest lessons or biggest principles that you feel that he's taught you and that you've applied throughout your life and currently try to apply today? Well, I think the biggest one is uh, treat everybody with kindness. Um, you know, treat people the way that you would like to be treated. You know, I mean, the biblical principles, uh, you know, my dad was not a Bible thumper uh, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but, but he just always had a kind word for pretty much everybody. Um, you know, and, and, and he always told me from day one, he said, look, you know, if you want to be treated well by people, you need to treat them with the same sort of dignity and respect that they, that, that you'd like to receive yourself. So it's amazing how that, that is just a functioning reality of the world we live in. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the Bible says a kind word turns away wrath, you know, I mean, it's amazing. You know, I, I, Sometimes I want to blow up at somebody about something, you know, and, and I remember that rings in the back of my mind. I don't do it all mm-hmm. the time. I wish I could say that I do. But, you know, just a kind word, say, and I'm really sorry. You know, if I upset you, you know, or in some way, shape or form, I'm really sorry for that. I didn't mean to do that. Um, you know, forgive me, that sort of thing. But uh, just biblical principles that my dad sort of, you know, rock solidly pounded into my life. And, um, you know, I, <laughs> I'm one of the few guys that 40 years after retirement, uh, still signs every football card that comes his way, you know, uh, right. cause I remember my dad telling me, he says, if somebody's, you know, taking their time to ask you to sign something for them, don't ever, don't ever treat that lightly. He said, treat mm. that as a, a, uh, uh, a monument, if you will, you know, uh, something that you uh, live by and, uh, you know, they're taking their time They're you know, they send you a self, you know, self-addressed stamped envelope, you know, I mean, at least you could do is put your signature on that card and send it back to them. So, you know, things like that, just, you know, basic yeah. principles and, you know, and, and really at the root of all that is, you know, just be kind, be kind yeah. to people. Something that's really missing in today's world seems to right. me. Right. Mm-hmm. I know. I definitely like the signing, signing something that if somebody takes the time to like reach out to you and want an autograph and give it to them, I think that's, that's really, really cool because sure. I think a lot of times, especially now on TV, not to be critical of people in, in the public eye, but you see a lot of times people not acknowledging certain fans and that sort of thing. So I think it's really special to be able to give the other person the time of day if they're really see you in that in a positive light to, you know, to make them to kind of fulfill that positive light that they see you in. 
So I think yeah, exactly. And, and to do nothing to deter that, you know, I mean, uh, I, exactly. Yeah, and I feel for, yeah, <laughs> thankfully we wore football helmets, you know, uh, not a lot of people recognize me outside the game, uh, of football basically. Um, but you know, you get guys like Michael Jordan and, and John Elway and some of those, you know, the higher profile guys, you know, I mean, I, and, and I got to cut them some slack, you know, I mean, if they stood and signed every autograph, you know, right. the thing that I, that I can, I can vividly remember, uh, is just how important that was to my kids. Uh, I got two boys, two and a half years apart. One of them is going to be 38 here pretty soon. And, and I've got a 35 year old. So, um, you know, they've been in that celebrity sort of realm, I guess, if you will, growing up and they were little guys and, you know, they, you know, from celebrity golf to, you know, all the other celebrity activities where sports athletes were around, you know, they were really impressed by all that. And, uh, you know, they wanted autographs from some of these guys and, you know, just to, to the differentiation between the guy that signed stuff for them and the guy that walked by him and didn't, you know, uh, and then to this day, you know, they kind of still hold that, right. uh, you know, and, and saying, well, you know, he's not a nice guy because he didn't sign, you know, <laughs> but you know, you got to kind of, and I've tried to explain it to him and say, look, you know, uh, you guys like these other guys, these super mega, mega stars, you know, they, they just can't do it for everybody. So. Right. They'd be spending their whole, they'd be spending their whole day doing it if, if, if that was the case. Um, so I touched on it briefly, but when you were going through high school, and I'm just kind of growing up. Baseball was really your number one initial dream, correct? Yeah, it sure was. Yeah. So kind of talk about making the decision of not necessarily going for your main passion, your initial dream or something like that, because I feel like a lot of people are not necessarily in sports, but a lot of people maybe might go after initial an initial passion or an initial dream. And for whatever reason, maybe they don't have the talent, they don't have the knowledge, the expertise, but for whatever reason, they have to go a different route. So I just kind of want you to touch on what that decision was like to pursue a dream that necessarily wasn't your initial one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed to say this, uh, Nick, but the decision was kind of uh, made for me. Uh, you know, I, I made All-American as a sophomore playing baseball in college at the University of California. And then um, it looked like at that point in time, uh, I went on and had a great summer. I was drafted out of high school and my dad wouldn't let me sign. He said, you're going to college. Um, my dad was the youngest of uh, 11 kids and uh, he dropped out of high school as a sophomore and signed a, a contract with the Chicago Cubs. And uh, he just didn't want me to go that route. You know, he wanted me to go to school and to further my education and so on and so forth, uh, things that he could not do, uh, or did not do. Um, and I think, you know, that was probably the main aspect of, of, of why I went to college, you know, and I mean, I re- begged him uh, to let me sign with the Kansas city Royals when they drafted me out of high school. But as a result, you know, when you don't sign, you go to school, you're not eligible for the draft again until you turn 21. Mm-hmm. And, uh, after my sophomore year in baseball, I was not 21. I was only 20 couldn't be drafted. Um, and you know, we went on and, and the next year, you know, played football kind of sparingly. It sort of kind of kept me, you know, in shape for baseball. Um, and then made all American my senior year in football. And, uh, you know, it just at that point in time in 1975, um, football was by far the highest paying of the two sports between football and baseball that changed rapidly right after that. Um, when, the whole free agency thing in baseball took off. Uh, I, me- I remember being in the same hospital as Andy Messersmith, the, who was a pitcher for the Dodgers and uh, came to the Atlanta Braves. 
and he was having some work done and I was having some work done at the end of my rookie year. And, and Andy, uh, told me that he, he thought I made a grave mistake in playing football. He said, baseball is going to explode and boy, <laughs> truer words could have never been spoken. <laughs> so here, here's the, here's the deal. I was drafted by, after my junior year of baseball, I was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles in the 19th round. They offered me $500 a month and a plane ticket to Florida to play football, uh, baseball down there in class A rookie leagues. Right. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons, on the other hand, you know, made me, uh, you know, the, 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 the biggest contract uh, ever signed in the national football league, at, you know, uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. So it was an economic decision for me. Right. At that point. Yeah. So, I mean, I still, uh, today I'm still the, the biggest baseball fan, biggest Braves fan, uh, okay. maybe alive, but, uh, just That's always awesome. love baseball. I always love the, the singleness of the challenge of baseball, but with a team backing, uh, football and baseball, you can become whatever you want to become. You know, you can be Bryce Harper and, you know, sign or, you know, a Mike Trout, you know, I mean, and, and not play on maybe great teams, but really be a superstar because it's an individual. It's you against that pitcher as a hitter, mm-hmm. vice versa as a pitcher throwing against the hitter. Uh, you don't need the team backing necessarily to right. be successful. Football is the ultimate team game. You've heard that. Uh, yep. It truly is. I mean, it doesn't matter how talented you are as a quarterback. If the guys can't keep people off of you and the receivers can't get open <laughs> and you're not running the ball very effectively, right. you're just not going to have success at football. It's just the ultimate team game. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so what was – I know the NFL draft has obviously kind of exploded over the last number of years. So they didn't have may, may, maybe quite the, the – um, they've made a whole new season football has uh out of the draft i mean it's uh you know i mean it's funny uh you know i, I say it's funny it's ironic that you know in 1975 i was the only guy in new york for the draft uh, <laughs> the first pick of the draft pete rosell presented me uh as the first pick in the draft and, and it wasn't a big deal you know i mean it other than the fact that i had to run down a tie somewhere and, and find a sport coat to wear, you know, I mean, uh, it was, uh, very, very, um, uh, low key. Uh, yeah. now it's a, it's a, you know, a two month process, you know, all the combines and all the different pre-draft stuff, everybody's got their, their, uh, mock draft, you know, you know, it's a, it's, it's become quite a, um, it's almost a year-round deal now. For yeah, me, it's you know? cool. it's just an event. I mean, I where they're actually having the NFL draft in Nashville this year, right, right where I am, and I remember in the middle, basically this time last year, they were trying to figure out where it was going to be, and it's just a huge thing, like economic for the city and just bringing attraction to the city in general. So it's crazy what has gotten to. But to kind of go away from that a little bit, you know, we talked actually right before we got on about how. A lot of people say, if if I knew this 30 years ago, that sort of, sort of yeah. thing, um, I would have done this differently. So I'm going to give you a chance to do that a little bit. What would, <laughs> what, what's a uh, piece of advice that you would give 1975 Steve Bartkowski? Uh, or maybe it, something it, that you it, wish it you would have known, known then. As far, well, you know, there's a thousand things. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, you know the the... the the one that we just discussed, uh, you know, I, I would have been a baseballer because that, you know, I didn't follow my heart. You know, I went for the economic deal over the one that really in my heart, I really wanted to be a baseball player. You know, um, mm. I, it, some of that was my dad related. Um, he didn't even want me playing football. As a matter of fact, my mom had to forge his signature on the parental consent card in high school, uh, my freshman year in high school to let me wow. play football. Um, so, 
That's, that's a cra- that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, he just he just you know he was prophetic. He said he said I want you playing football. They'll take your legs, and you know they. I mean, I had eleven knee operations. You know, so mm. you know he was right. He was right, and uh, I'd say pay attention to your elders. They know what they're talking about. <laughs> but uh, you know, there's a there's a, a ton of things, Nick. That um, you know, I, I just uh, I, I became a Christian in uh, really kind of stepping outside the box. Um, my fourth year, uh, my fourth preseason uh, of my fourth year of the National Football League. And, uh, you know, it just really, uh, it altered my life in a way yeah. that, uh, nothing else could, uh, right. Let's talk about what brought that Let's talk about what brought that upon uh, failure on the athletic field, mm-hmm. failure on the athletic field. I mean, I, I fell flat on my face as a quarterback, you know, I was hurt my first three years in Atlanta. I, I you know, I tore up an elbow, my left elbow, non-throwing elbow, thankfully, um, you know, and had it worked on at the end of the year. Then I had back-to-back knee surgeries, you know, uh, missing only or playing about half the regular season games due to injury. Uh, so, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was just, a, it was a devastating time for me. Something I'd never known before was athletic failure. And, uh, Put in that circumstance where my job was on the line, fifth preseason game that year, back when we played six preseason games and had 14 regular season games. So that's how long <laughs> that was. But uh, you know, fifth preseason game was billed as Bart's last chance. I had to play well or lose my job. And I'd never been in a situation like that. And, you know, I mean, I did everything I could possibly do from a physical and mental standpoint to succeed that that night against the Eagles. And went out and played with the coach, Lehman Bennett, called the worst game he'd ever seen a quarterback play. I mean, it just mm. – I, I just failed uh, in, in every uh, every sense of the definition that night. Um, and, you know, on the way home from the stadium that night, uh, kind of trying to figure out, you know, what had happened, where I made the wrong turn, um, the whole athletic uh, conundrum that I was faced with at that point in time, you know, and – and uh, God supernaturally brought back an incident that had happened three years earlier. Uh, I was in Chicago preparing to play in the college all-star game uh, that used to be the game that kicked off the, the NFL season, uh, where they, a group of consensus All-Americans, of which I was one, gets together, uh, practices for a week, and then goes and plays the previous year's world champion. So we were preparing to play a game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And a guy came up to me in the lobby of the hotel, uh, you know, one afternoon after practice and asked me if he could spend a few minutes with me and, you know, proceeded to tell me uh, so much about life in just a short period of time, you know, uh, telling me that God loved me, had a great plan for my life. I, I couldn't experience that plan in the condition I come into this earth on uh, under the penalty of sin, you know, and, and uh, as much as God loves me and has this great plan for me, I can't experience it. And uh, then he went on to tell me about this one called Jesus who walked this earth, came to this earth specifically to pay the penalty for my sin, you know, a debt that I couldn't pay. And uh, he asked me if I'd ever heard about him. I said, I've heard about Jesus since I was just a little guy, you know, I mean, but, you know, uh, what what's that mean to me? You know, he said, well, he said, Steve, you need to put your life in his hands. You need to trust him for that salvation that God, the Bible claims, makes you know in, implicitly clear uh, that you there is no salvation, there is no other name under which men can be saved other than Jesus. You know, so anyway, he told me that I had to become a Christian. I had to surrender my life and give myself to Him. And of course, at that point in time, 
I was thinking this fellow might be the most ignorant man in America. You know, I, I had a pretty <laughs> abundant life at that point, right? And I told you know, I, I was thinking, I said, you know, go out there to that guy that I see every every day on the way to practice that's sleeping in that, you know, by that dumpster and finding his meals in that dumpster. That guy needs to know that God loves him and has a great plan for his life, you know. So anyway, clearly the, the, the situation had changed in three short years, Nick. You know, I mean, driving home from the stadium when God brought that whole incident back to my recollection, I was able to hear with my heart what I'd heard with my ears three years earlier and really embrace the whole idea that I was a sinner separated from God and that I needed to accept the forgiveness that Jesus provided uh, via the cross, being, paying the penalty that, of the debt that I owed that he took upon himself and, and ask him to come into my life and change my life and give me direction that I needed, uh, and saw it. So, you know, I went to bed that night and I was hoping that, uh, that the headlines might change overnight, but they didn't, you know, I still lost my job, but I went back to work with a sort of a renewed optimism. You know, I felt like the weight of the world was, you know, off my shoulders. And a couple of weeks later I had my job back and, you know, went on and took the Falcons to the playoffs for the first time in, you know, franchise history. And mm-hmm. the rest is kind of history. You know, I mean, I played nine more years as a, what I like to refer to as a business under new management. Uh, <laughs> and I truly was, you know, I mean, I didn't play to see how many touchdowns I could throw, how much money I could make. I played to have a chance to tell my story to other people that are out there, maybe <clears throat> looking for answers, you know, and, you know, I found that one true answer that really set my life on course. And, uh, you know, it hasn't failed me for the last 40 years, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's been a wonderful walk, um, and journey and I've learned a ton of things along the way. Um, so many of those things that I wish I'd have known when I was your age, uh, but, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, God is faithful and I've had a chance to tell my story for a long, long time. And I hope there's a few more years left in me to be able to say the same thing that I'm just one beggar that, you know, that found, you know, a place to find bread, you know, right. something, to, something that, that, that would give me the, uh, what I needed in my life. Right. And I think um, I think that a lot of those things come at the right time when they're supposed to. Like while we talked about while we talked about. Oh, I wish I would have known this 30 years ago. Or I wish I would have done this 30 years ago. A lot of those things that we wish we would have known, like they happen at the right time for a reason. And, and so, so, for example, like what I, what I was just thinking about right near the end of your story was, while maybe you would have wished you played baseball, maybe you would have been successful in baseball and you would have never been able to have this kind of moment to be able to have the type of failure that you had per se and have this kind of like the actual come to Jesus moment and be able to give your life to Christ. Christ. Maybe that never would have happened if you actually played baseball. So I think it could have been a huge blessing in disguise and things happen for a reason, right? Exactly. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, you know, my, you know, one of the old adages in life that, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Right. But, but you could ride that horse until man, I mean, he's so thirsty, uh, right. you know, and that's kind of where I was athletically, you know, I mean, I, you know, I'd heard all about Jesus and heard all about, you know, but I mean, I felt like I had achieved, you know, what I wanted out of life. And, you know, I really kind of found that the emptiness of being a pro athlete, making a lot of money, uh, and, you know, in those days, it was a lot less money than what it is these days, but, uh, right. you know, it was, uh, you know, I was living the life of, uh, Riley, so to speak, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it, it just, you know, God allowed circumstances to make me so thirsty that, mm. um, man, I was finally ready to drink. Okay. So in, in 1978, you know, when you were benched and you had this moment, I want to know what was the biggest difference maybe in football wise, preparation wise, practice wise from 
post that moment, that come to Jesus moment and pre come to Jesus moment? Like what was the biggest separation from those two individuals, if you will? Well, I, I think I finally understood what it, uh, and, you know, the more I delved into the Bible and started to read about uh, this one Jesus, um, you know, I, I, I came to realize that uh, I was really not a leader at all. I was a mm. sort of a, uh, you know, the, 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 the position of quarterback sort of gives you that, that the opportunity to take that mantle uh, upon yourself. But I really was, it was about me, you know, my, um, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't, and I came to realize that Jesus, this one, this God man who came to earth, you know, I mean, how, how he put together his, his, uh, his group, you know, I mean, he, he, he was a, the, the greatest of all, uh, servants, you know, I mean, he came with this, you know, uh, expressly to, to give his life, you know, to, uh, for humanity okay. so that they might have a way to God, you know? Uh, and you know, it, it, I, I learned a lot from that. I mean, I learned that, that football, uh, I always knew it was the ultimate team game, but you know, I, I felt like I could overcome whatever deficiencies there might be, um, in that. Um, and I, and I think the great leaders, you know, they, they come to realize that you become a great leader, uh, by serving others, uh, by, by being an example to others, you know? So my whole work ethic changed, um, Attitude changed. Um, matter of fact, Second Corinthians five, I think it is verse seventeen, that says, "You know, if any man is in Christ, he becomes a new creation. Old things pass away, and behold, new things come." So, mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of things that I mean I, I got credit for, but I didn't have a whole lot of uh, uh, influence on. You know, it was just all this whole spirit of God that now lived in me uh, took control of the way that I manifested myself to others. You know, and I think my teammates looked at that, respected it. Some of them didn't understand it, but uh, they respected it nonetheless. And and they saw that, you know, I was the la- first one on the practice field, last one off, you know, uh, I worked as hard as I could in the offseason to make sure I was ready so I never, didn't let my teammates down. And just all those things that that you need to manifest as a leader. You know, if you're not willing to, uh, to, to do something that's going to make you a better football player, how can you espouse to others that you were supposed to be leading uh, mm-hmm. what they need to be doing? So, you know, set, set the right example, uh, you know, by not just talking about it, lip service, but really making it a, you know, a heartfelt deal and, and, and making it your own. Right. I think that's a really powerful lesson in terms of leadership to make sure that you're not really doing it for yourself, that you're doing it for others. I've, I've thought about, kind of that concept in the sense of motivation. Sometimes a lot of people are like, I don't know how I can be motivated to go work out or eat healthy or just whatever to get better. And a lot of the times what I like to maybe advise is don't think about it being for you, thinking about think about it being for the people that you love, like maybe your potential kids down the road or your future husband or wife or whatever it is. So if you can't motiv- get motivated because from some from something from within be motivated to show up as the best version of yourself for the people that you love in your life and that's at least what came to my mind when you're talking about being a great leader like it, don't do it for yourself do it for others and be able to be the best person that you poss- possibly can be for them and what when I wanted to ask when you start talking about leadership is what do you think your biggest strength was as a leader let me just backtrack just a little bit on what you said. Yeah. I think I think that's profound. Um, you know, clearly, you know, clearly something that 
<laughs> that I learned, you know, I mean, it, it, as I got intimate with my teammates and I tried to tried to motivate them, tried to I tried to understand what they really wanted out of the game of football, you know, and, mm. and uh, you know, I, I you know, as a quarterback, you have a chance to to, to really implement some of those things, you know, I mean, everybody wants to catch as many balls as they can as a receiver, you know, and all the, you know, running backs want to, you know, it, it's just trying to find out, go deep with them and trying to motivate them uh, and trying try to say, man, look, I'm going to try to help you get that goal. And, and uh, you know, you can count on me. I've got your back. Uh, whether it's a lineman having trouble with a guy that he's trying to block for that given week, you know, get him some help with the running back, chipping on his way out, running routes, you know, so on and so forth. There's little things you can do that really know that help them make your teammates know that you have bought in on their goals. Mm-hmm. And if you if they achieve yours, guess what happens? You know, right. you get what you want, right? Yeah. You know, that's the amazing thing about serving others. You know, I mean, and, and like you're talking about, man. I mean, if, you know, the eating right and 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 living right and doing you know doing right. Um, it's just hard to be wrong, you know, when when you're around. I mean, you're doing that with the right motivation, you know, for your loved mm-hmm. ones. You know, I mean, maybe you don't care about yourself enough to do it, but I mean, do it for the people you love, and then. At the end of the day, man, I mean, you're the one who ends up profiting from that. Right. I think, well, I think what you said in terms of, I kind of think you kind of answered your question, answered the question without even maybe realizing it is that being able to ask the questions and being able to communicate with your teammates, like, what do you want out of football? Like, what is it that you are trying to get out of this experience? Let me help you in order to achieve that. Like, that is so much, that goes so much. Uh, further outside of football. I mean, it goes into just any kind of relationship, whether it's in the business that you work for, the company that you work for, or your significant other. Like how many, how great would it be if people had that communication before getting married? Like, what do you actually want out of this relationship? There's so many tough questions like that, that people don't ask that I feel like they could benefit from. And if people ask that, then any kind of relationship would be so much better because then you're just both trying to serve the other, the other individual. Right. But putting others needs ahead of your own, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. let them go to the front of the line and you, you know, stand behind them. Right. So now when we talked about some good qualities of a leader, did you have a weakness as a leader that you were continually trying to work on and improve on that maybe stood out to you during your career? Uh, it- specifically, I, I, I can't, I, you know, I would just say that I was, a, you know, I, I still am a work in progress. I mean, I haven't, mm-hmm. got, any, I haven't got anything about this life figured out. <laughs> uh, a few, few things, you know, that I, that I, that the Bible espouses that I've seen to be true, you know, um, uh, you know, I wish I could say, you know, I mean, I, right. I live out the principles in the Bible day by day, moment by moment. You know, that'd be, I'd be just be telling the fib, you know, I mean, I, 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 I try the best I can. Uh, to get out of the way and let God kind of, you know, rule and run my life. But, you know, like everybody else, you know, I, there's deficiencies. And there were certainly deficiencies in my game. You know, there were things, once I had uh, you know, three or four knee surgeries, I mean, I was pretty immobile in the pocket. You know, I mean, I was one of those kind of guys that they knew if they got a pass rush on me, I wasn't going to run around and make plays because that was not my game. I just couldn't mm-hmm. escape anymore, you know. And, 
you know, that, that certainly worked on trying to get the ball out of my hand quicker, you know, uh, uh, which would benefit all of us, you know, I mean, no sacks right. and, 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 uh, you know, you're going to get hit e- either way. I mean, the quarterback got hit back in my era. I mean, you got hit all the time, right? Uh, they've changed <laughs> back when it wasn't a, back, back when it wasn't a flag, flag right? right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Back when it was football. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, there, there are things that I worked on, you know, I, most of my interpersonal skills, you know, I mean, I was kind of a quiet quiet guy and kind of kept to myself and did my job and didn't worry too much about anybody else other than, you know, my own, I had enough to say grace over. Right. Um, but you know, I, I think I came outside of myself to try to, uh, to try to do those, to create those relationships mm-hmm. with my teammates and, and, uh, and everybody really, you know, I mean, I, uh, my wife would tell you that I'm still a work in progress, of uh, course, you know, uh, but, uh, but but we all are, you know. Yeah, yeah there's, no there's doubt. only one. There's only one perfect one, and, and he's the one that uh, we talked about earlier. Um, uh, so there's there's a multitude of things that I I I should do better and I should do differently, and uh, as those things crop up in my life, I try to deal with them one by one. You know. Uh, there you go. Uh, we all want to be, and I think you know you, you, your whole theme. You know, how do you how do we extract the best? you out of us right you know i mm-hmm. mean if that's a sentence <laughs> yeah no i i like it i like it uh, no know, i mean it, i i think it's 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 it, 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 it what you know now don't worry about what you're going to learn tomorrow but what you know now implement that now you know mm. don't don't procrastinate you know if there's a if you know there needs to be a change in your life make it god will give you the grace to do that you know as a christian we have that 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 influence and and mm. uh you know, there's a multitude of things that I wish I did better, you know, from parenting to being a husband to being a teammate, you know, being a, uh, uh, a coworker, um, you know, never ending journey and never ending process. Like, yeah, exactly. There's a litany of things, you know, um, that I wish that I, I could, you know, do better, but I will tell you that I will work on things as they come, you know, um, yeah. I, you know, I'm trying, still trying to, to figure out how to be the best me. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll get a we'll get a little bit more into that maybe towards the end, um, because I always ask the same last question to everybody else or to every single person that I bring onto the show. So just to give you a little bit of a preview. But before we get there, obviously, um, I want to talk about performing under pressure because as a quarterback, obviously you have to perform under pressure. You have big games every single week. Every single game is a big game in the NFL, and. I think all of us in life have to perform under pressure. It just looks differently for every single person, depending on what role it is that you're playing in life. It could just be you have to show up as a great father under pressure or whatever. So I want to know, was there anything in particular that allowed you to best perform under pressure? Like, was it preparation? Was there anything that you maybe did before every single game or just like what allowed you to perform best under pressure? Well, I, you know, I think preparation to start with, you know, uh, mm-hmm. things that I can control, uh, control the things you can control and, and, uh, you know, pray like heck about the things you can't, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of what I did. Uh, you know, I, I tried to, you know, look at myself in the mirror after every game and say, you know, whether it was success or failure, you know, try What was my role in it? You know, mm-hmm. um, did I do the best that I could do? Um, you know, and, and, and life is like that, Nick. I mean, there's uh, uh, life is this big football game, you know, and, 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 you know, there's a bunch of people that all of us rely on on a daily basis. If you're in the workforce, you know, guess what, buddy? I mean, 
unless you're the guy calling the signals, um, you know, if you're the CEO, you know, you might have a little bit different, but you're still dependent upon all those co-work, all those underlings to do their job. You know, um, I think of the whole Patriot mantra, you know, the, why they've been so successful. Uh, they've got a CEO Belichick that, that, I mean, that's what he preaches. Do your job. Don't worry about anybody else. Do your job, you know? Um, so, you know, that, that is, that is, you know, one huge aspect of, of, of that, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, do the best you can to prepare yourself and, and do your job to the best of your ability. And at the end of the day, I mean, control the things you can control. Yeah. To me, to me, to me, I'm, I'm hearing like, kind of be focused, like kind of keep your focus relatively narrow. Like, like, don't be trying to do other people's jobs. Don't be worried about too much that you can't control. Like focus on what you can't control and focus on yourself in order to perform. Exactly. Exactly. And, and every play is a mini crisis, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's pressure coming on every play. Right. You know, pressure, pressure, number one, to make the right call in the huddle, you know. Uh, and then when you get break the huddle, you come to the line of scrimmage, you got to make the call, whether you're going to audible out of what you called in the huddle or, you know, so there's a, there's a mini crisis, you know, all the time. So, you know, there's pressure constantly, you know, and, and I think the successful guys are the ones that do what I just, you know, mentioned, you know, they, 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 they live with whatever the, uh, uh, the outcome is, uh, because they know that they've done the best that they could do at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You got another play coming up. So if you mess that one up, you know, you got a chance to redeem yourself. And right. that's the beauty of, of, of you got another, they got another game next week. You know, uh, you've got another issue at your job, you know, that's going to come your way. And if you, if you mucked up one, you know, turn it around, you know, and, and try to figure out, you know, do that self analysis. And did you do the best you could on that project or, or was there something you could have done better, you know, and, and, and m- modify those things and, and don't worry about, don't worry about the outcome, you know, uh, you know, right. did your best. Yeah, I got to say, but <laughs> that was one of the things that I liked more about. I played baseball and football too in high school. And that was one of the things that I think I liked more about football. I liked both of them probably equally. But the aspect of football, like the next play was coming right away. And right. in baseball, like if you strike out, it's like, oh my gosh, I have to wait like <laughs> three innings <laughs> now until I'm up again. again. <laughs> Just like that impatience um, definitely seeped in. I, I don't know. That's what I thought about when you talked about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, the redemption's right around the corner in football for sure. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. You know, baseball, baseball, you do have to wait for your next at bat. You know? yeah. yeah, but then at the same time, and then but at the same time, like baseball games happen much more frequently than do football games. So if it's the game that you're, Right. Uh, regretting, then it t- takes a whole week to play again. But, but yeah, exactly. Outside of that, let's go into. I'm interested if you had any specific pregame rituals, routines, or anything like that that you always had to do to make sure you were particularly ready for that game that you did before literally every single one. Uh, it, not really. You know, like uh, you know, every every game uh, was different. Uh, you know, there was, uh, uh, you know, the manifested in the game plan, you know, obviously, you know, the coaches are responsible for that, but you know, it's, it's in our execution, whether or not, you know, the, the whole plan is successful or not. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, just kind of trying to know as much about that other team as you possibly could know, you know, uh, weaknesses, strengths, um, how to maybe exploit those weaknesses and to, you know, modify plays that are running against their strength, you know? trying to, to do that whole clearinghouse, you know, I mean, it, it's as much mental really uh, game day uh, for a quarterback as it is physical. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, it's, it's just a, uh, uh, play after play after play, you know, trying to, trying to drill into your head, you know, what you can expect. Um, and then as you break the huddle and, and, you know, you got somewhere in the vicinity of 2.3 to 2.7 seconds, you know, to, to decide where the guy he's got the best chance to win, you know, is out there. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a game within a game, you know, for, for a quarterback, but I didn't have Definitely. anything ritualistic, not, not, no superstitions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, there were things, there were things that it, I tried to there, do. Some people have, to, some people have those different things, those, you know, small things. I was just curious because some people, some people like make those things so much bigger than they actually are. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. And, and, uh, well, you know, we have a tendency to sort of major on the minors, you know, I mean, especially within our own little world, you know, um, I, I just never, I just never had any of that, you know, I mean, I just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I stepped up and, you know, if I, if I had the, you know, if I had success, I, I gave credit where I thought the credit does, you know, deserved to go. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's another thing I think great leaders do, you know, they, they, uh, they, they are humble and and they step to the side they let the other guy get the trophy you know um mm. you know and uh you know in reality uh th- th- that's that's all that's all i really tried to do is try to defer the praise uh you know in some other direction um knowing that you know humility is a, is a real key to being successful was there any one particular leader whether it was someone on your team somebody else in the league a coach that you look up to in particular uh, yeah, there were, there were guys I admired, uh, right. you know, uh, from a work ethic standpoint, you know, teammates that I had, I mean, you never had to worry about, uh, a guy, uh, running back that I played with a guy named William Andrews and Lynn Kane, uh, two running backs. Um, I mean, I knew those guys were going to do everything they could possibly do to prepare themselves to play, uh, every single week, never had to worry about them. Uh, and there were teammates that I admired, you know, that, uh, and and when you get that going in football, <laughs> it's pretty darn special. And mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of those teams that I, that that um, that I played on. You know, we had a pretty good run there in the late seventies, early eighties, where we really had a chance to turn the corner for the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, you know, we had a had a you know we had you know thirty five forty guys coming to a Bible study. Um, and I'm not talking about chapel service coming to a Bible study. You know, on a weekly basis. You know, guys mm-hmm. that were really committed to. You know, the whole, the, the, the buzzword now is it's brotherhood, you know, uh, you know, the brotherhood, the brotherhood, you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of the big, you know, uh, buzzword around football. You know, we had a real true brotherhood back then, you know, and, and there was a, there was, it, it went beyond the game of football. It certainly infiltrated the game of football, but it was way beyond that. It was more about life and how to be the best spouse, husband, you know, uh, uh, father, you know, yeah. to a daughter or sons or whatever the case might be. Right. That sounds cool. Sounds special. Um, was there any, maybe one decision that you'd never, maybe didn't realize the significance of or the, or the importance of that you made when you were younger, like in your career? It could be in your career. Or it could just be in life in general. Like what was the most important or best decision that you ever made that you didn't know the importance of it when you made it, but you saw it later in life? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing. You should bring this up. Um, you know, there in, in 1980, we had the best team in football. I mean, there's clearly, uh, you know, we we're we we're 12 and four in the regular season, but uh, you know, we just had an explosive offense, uh, pretty good defense, um, and we were playing the Cowboys in the playoff game in Atlanta. Uh, 
And uh, we got on top of them early on and, and got up by 14 or 17 points. And, you know, we did what we normally did. Uh, you know, when we got up on teams, we, we stalled the ball. You know, we, we went to the running game. And, you know, I can remember one critical third and four uh, late in – it was early in the fourth quarter. Uh, but it was third and four, and I went on a hard count and uh, had too tall. Jones stumbled down the line. Right, in, I mean, stayed on side somehow, some way. You know, uh, it, the center should have snapped the ball, uh, and we'd have caught him off sides when he got that that cheap first down, so to speak. But uh, anyway, he stumbles down the, you know, bumps into uh, uh, Dutton and pushes him down one, and and he ends up, you know, tackling William Andrews for no gain. You know, so I mean, I, I think about that. I think I maybe should have called timeout. You know, should have should have you know not snapped the ball. You know, at that point. Um, just, you know, it's one of those things I look back on. It's a, just a minute little thing that happened during that game, but it was a momentum change. You know, we, you know, we were trying to, you know, trying to go ahead and, and put, put them away. And um, I also remember going and, and thinking, man, we need to score more points. You know, this is, you know, we, we're comfortable, but we, this is a pretty good football team and we need to, you know, bury them, you know, all we right. can. So, uh, there were some other opportunities during that game there, you know, where, you know, I, I could have audible to maybe a better play or something like that. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, that, you know, like I said, you know, <laughs> there's, uh, there's things like that, that the decisions you make, uh, or don't make, you know, you know, it's just life. It's, uh, you know, it comes at you and you handle it the best way you can and you move on. No doubt. Um, getting down here towards the end, what is, what do you think is the biggest, lesson that you learned during football or specific thing that somebody maybe taught you that has served you the best in your life outside of the playing days? Oh boy. I wish I had a little more time to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of a big question, isn't it? Yeah. I think one of the, uh, one of the bigger influences on, on our football team when I became a Christian uh, was a guy by the name of Greg Brzezina. Um, Greg and his wife, Connie, they had four incredible boys, you know, they were just stair stepped down and, and uh, you know, they were a huge influence on my wife and I, you know, we looked at, you know, we looked at the Brzezinas and we said, man, we want to have a family like that. You know, they just, uh, and, and, uh, Greg was, uh, the consummate teammate, just, uh, a terrific football player, but even a better father, husband, uh, you know, dad, uh, he just, uh, you know, he, he just was, uh, somebody I really looked up to and, yeah. uh, uh, the way that he treated his wife and, and, uh, the way that he treated those kids and fathered those kids, um, you know, it just, I wanted to be like Greg, you know, and. And I think Sandy, my wife, he would say that Connie had a big influence on her as well. So, uh, you know, just being able to kind of step outside the box, man. I mean, we were newly newlyweds, you know, uh, freshly married, and and looking at those guys, and and that that had a that had a you know, yeah, a lot of kids these days think they have the all the answers, right? You know, mm-hmm. and they don't really know what the questions are yet, you know. And, right. so, and I, we were willing to say, look, we don't we don't know how to go about all this 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 fatherhood and, and marriage and all this stuff and so they were they were really a sounding board for us and uh yeah great influence on our lives that's awesome that's cool that's really special i feel like i think that was really cool that you brought up something in terms of family um for that that sort of question but the last two questions that i always ask everybody are always the same and so for this first one i always <laughs> throw out the age number so how old are you currently right now yeah i'm 66 all right very good so 
And then in 10 years down the road, you're going to be 76, inevitably. And what I like to say is, you know, everybody has goals, dreams, things they're trying to work on. What do you think 76-year-old Steve Barkowski looks like? What have you done? What have you accomplished? And, and what are you currently doing? I didn't hear the uh, end of that, Nick. Sort of. Oh, no, I'll repeat it. Yeah, yeah sorry. Um, what what does 76-year-old Steve Barkowski yeah, look like doing, accomplished, all that sort of thing? <laughs> Wow. I, uh, from your lips to God's ears, I hope I get 10 more years. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know I, I, I've been through some health scares. Uh, you know, I'm 52. Uh, you know, I, I was diagnosed with col- colorectal cancer and, uh, you know, we sort of got over that hurdle. Um, you know, so, you know, I feel like I'm sort of in, in the, uh, the bonus time right, right now, you know, uh, a lot of baseball. Thought, uh, yeah, yeah. I had a lot, <laughs> a lot of things that, uh, that, uh, you know, I felt like I wanted to accomplish, you know, still and, you know, at 52, but I, you know, here I am 66, 14 years later and talking about being 76 is sounds way out there to me, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I think that stability in, in my youngest boy's life, um, who runs a fly fishing lodge in Montana and then really the impetus of Sandy and, and myself, my wife and I moving up here to help him, uh, get established his, his older brother has, I mean, he, he's knocked it out of the ballpark. I mean, he, you know, he's doing incredibly well in his career. Got a, got a great family, great wife, great little, I got a 12 year old granddaughter. And yeah, if I can get Pete, his younger brother, uh, sort of on that road. Um, I hope that, uh, we're at 76. I hope I'm still able to climb in a drift boat and have Pete row me down. There you go. <laughs> but if not, but if not, I'll find a stream somewhere where I can wet a line, and uh, you know, just uh, it, it still, you know, having a, having an opportunity to enjoy the things that I love, um, the outdoors, uh, fishing, hunting. Um, I used to say golf was in that realm, but uh, I, I no longer am as good as I once was, and <laughs> as much fun as it used to be. But uh, those kinds of things. But just being an influence on on my boys' lives and. Um, doing the best I can to, to take the message that set me free. And, uh, I hope mm. for 10 more years, I have, I have a chance to sit down with guys like you and, and, and have an opportunity to tell my story about, uh, this one called Jesus, you know, cause I'm a Jesus guy. I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna lay right. it out there on the line. And I know sometimes that offends people, but, uh, you know, the truth is that's where I found true life. Mm. Well, I think that's very admirable that you bring in, bringing up being able to support your family in the best way possible and that was ruby drake lodge out in montana and i was we talked about it beforehand i have a brother that lives out in denver so gotta make sure he can uh maybe try to make it out there one of these days but some great fly fly fishing out there some of the best and uh best rivers of fishing out there in montana so if you're a big fly fisher go check it out uh, ruby drake lodge but before i ask the last question i want to acknowledge you steve because i think that one of the most admirable things that I've gotten out of today is that your ability to ask others what their goals are and what they want out of different experiences and for you to be able to do whatever you can in order to make those things possible because you realize that what fills you up is being able to fill other people up and see their goals come true and therefore your goals come true and your purpose comes true through that. Um, So I want to acknowledge you for being able to have that humility and step yourself away from from your own spotlight and give others the spotlight and you being able to you know spread the message of 
your story and and finding Jesus and all that on all that great stuff because I think that can resonate with a, a ton of people. So I want to thank you for being being open about all that kind of thing. Well, thank you, Nick. Uh, it's been great to be on with you, my friend, and uh, wish you much success and and uh, finding the best you. There you go. Well, awesome. Well, speaking of that, the last question I I gave you a little teaser beforehand is the same question that I always ask everybody and. We've talked about how it's a constant journey to become the best version of ourselves. That never-ending, never-ending street that we're on. You know, I don't know if we. Hopefully, maybe the last day when we take our last breath, we can have the confidence that we are who God made us to be. Yeah. And, but like I said, it's a constant journey. We're always working on it, and it's different for every single person how we're going to arrive at that particular person. So, what I want to ask for you personally is if you could currently do or currently work on three things to become closer to the best version of yourself. What are those three things that you could currently do or three things that you could currently work on? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a, I mean, that is a, uh, man, if I had to limit it to three things, I would say what the number one thing is deal with the number one thing, you know, mm. uh, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing, you know, I mean, whatever that is and start, you know, uh, knocking knocking that one thing off. You know, one thing at a time. You know, as humans, I don't think we have. I mean, I think we give ourselves more credit than 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 we really deserve at being able to multitask or you know have a bunch of balls in the air. You know, I I I like keeping it simple. And mm. and if something comes to my uh, mind of thing, uh, something I need to do to to try to be the best me. I'm going to deal with that, you know, and, and sometimes that's an ongoing battle, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, maybe you never do get to the point, but I think you can start chipping away at it and trying to figure out like if it's, I, I, I know one, uh, one thing I need, I need to lose some weight. I mean, <laughs> at, at 66, I need to lose some weight and I need to get more disciplined with what I eat, you know, and I, I think just, you know, coming to realize again that, you know, I've got, you know, two boys that, uh, you know, they don't depend on me like they used to. But I sure want to be around to see the, you know, them get the, the them get the uh, the final rose, so to speak, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, to grab the trophy, uh, you know, and, and my granddaughter, I'd, I'd love to see her go on to college and, and all those other things. And I'm telling you the way that that I feel right now that I, you know, if I could, you know, get back down to my fighting weight, you know, I, I, there's a better chance of me making that 76 number than there is right now. So mm-hmm. I'd say that's another thing. Um, and, and, and I think the, the, probably the, the strongest, uh, uh, I don't even know what you want to call it. Uh, the strongest motivation for me, uh, is to, to make sure that my wife of, of 39 years, uh, it, it, you know, that, that, that I can be for her, what she needs to be, uh, where I can dot all the mm. I's and cross all the T's. So I don't leave her with a mess if I don't make it to 76, you know, mm. uh, we're getting there. I mean, we're, we're virtually debt free. We don't owe anybody anything but love, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I want to make sure that, that, that Miss Sandy, she has everything that she needs to go on and live whatever it is, 10, 12, 15, 18, 25, 30 years beyond me. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's, you know, that might go to number one on my mm. list, you know, so. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just no, I love that. that. Yeah, taking care of the one I love, you know, because she's taking care of me all these years. I love that. And the reason I don't prep people on the last question is because I think a lot of the times the most natural thing ends up coming out and the most true and honest thing might end up coming out. And I think that, that yeah. I'm really happy that you got with that third one because I think that was 
truly speaking from the heart and being as honest and truthful as you could be? Well, you're a wise young man. That gets, it's probably <laughs> best to, to have those be spontaneous reactions. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's something that, you know, as I, as I, my mind was running through a thousand different, you know, uh, to do's or, or not to do's, you know, and, and, uh, you know, that, that one is, uh, is, you know, virtually the most important one to me. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that I make sure that Miss Sandy is, uh, you know, paid back for the years of, uh, uh, just laboring with me and raising two boys and, and being a part, being a part of the Bart family. Well, that's great, Steve. I appreciate you coming on. That's all we got. My pleasure, buddy. Anytime. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now it's time to act. Leave a like and a comment on YouTube. Subscribe to that page. If you're on iTunes, leave it a five-star review. Help the show move up the ranks so more and more people can get access to it. Feel free to take a screenshot of this episode and let me know you're listening on Instagram. How have you communicated with the people who are in your life right now? The people you work with, the teammates you have on a sports team, your significant other, your siblings. Have you asked them what their goals are? Have you asked them what they're trying to get out of their career or out of a relationship? I know these sorts of things are tough questions and I don't do them well enough myself, but it's important for us to get uncomfortable and ask these tough types of questions so we can serve others. Because when we serve others to fill their cup, to fulfill their dreams, we'll inevitably get the same thing in return. In the last two episodes with both Scott Miller and Steve Bartkowski, we've learned how important humility is to be a great leader. How important it is to realize that it's not all about you, to take a step back and be okay with not having all the answers and to ask others for help and support. I know I'm gonna try to think of different areas in my life right now where I can take a step back in humility and ask others for guidance. Thanks so much for listening. Keep taking consistent action every single day. Now it's time to go out and upgrade yourself today to get closer and closer to your best you.